0: welcome to the album nerds podcast with your hosts andy don and dude hip-hop hooray fellas hello
1: it is album nerds podcast time i'm dude i got andy and don with me andy
2: what's up yo 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 (laughs) uh mc andy in the house
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh mc andy really that's a little weak, my I was friend. gonna say,
2: uh, I was gonna say Andy B in the Place to Be, but I thought that was better with MC Andy. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, uh, okay, in that case, I agree. <laughs> Mister Don Tastic, how you doing? Well,
3: that's not bad. I hadn't. I was trying to quickly think of a hip hop name. I don't know Don Tastic. That's not quite right. No, that's a little too splashy. That's not tough enough. Remember when people used to say Deaf? Like something was deaf. Yes. I always thought Mm -hmm. like deaf-active would be good. (laughs) (laughs) Like defective. Yes. (laughs) My lyrics are defective. I've got a good perspective. There you go. Hey. This is what we call freestyling. Yes. (laughs) That's what we call (laughs) freestyling. No one else would call it that.
1: Other people would call it find another podcast to listen to. Okay, so... This is the Album Nerds Podcast. We love albums. We talk about them. And this is our opportunity to uh, share our love of music with y'all. So we have a great show for you today. We're going to each pick an album, answer a question, talk about what we learned, and then spin the wheel of musical destiny at the end of the show to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week,
3: hip-hop hooray.
4: That's what I'm talking about.
3: All right. Hip-hop is a genre of popular music that originated in the Bronx in the early 1970s. There are four elements to hip-hop culture, Uh, DJing, MCing, b-boying or breakdancing, right? And graffiti. Um, So it basically evolved. Uh, You would have these, you know, big parties. You would have a DJ that was scratching and supplying the tunes. And then eventually you'd have somebody get on the mic who would kind of hype up the the DJ. And that's basically where where hip hop music was born. It didn't actually end up on record uh, until the late 1970s. And of course, it found its way into mainstream music in the 1980s. The mid 80s through the early mid 90s is considered the golden age of hip-hop, characterized by quality and innovation. By the end of the decade, hip-hop was a dominant commercial force. You saw the growth of gangster rap, you had a East-West rivalry, you had Southern rap, and then you have a transition into a more slick and commercial, uh, what they called the bling era. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I I had not heard of the Bling era. Yeah, I think that's your, is that your Jay-Z's and your Lil Wayne? I think so, I think so. Uh, Well, today each of us will present a hip-hop album from the 1990s. So, I was uh, working at record
1: stores in my early 20s during, late teens, early 20s during this period and I didn't I mean I, I was really into the 80s hip hop stuff and then once alternative broke free then I didn't care about it at all so I missed a lot of this I was aware of it I was selling it at the record store but I was also you know encouraging mothers buying uh, doggy style for their kid for Christmas <laughs> saying hey that's uh, pretty dirty they might like this Pearl Jam album instead and I'm oh, sure geez. that. There were some unhappy children, thanks to me, because <laughs> I didn't understand. Really dug in, listened to 30, 50, I don't know, so many hip-hop records from this period. Uh, some of the highlights were Fear of, a ba- uh, Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy, which I had liked in, their, uh, in 1990. Also, Talib Kweli and Mos Def on their uh, album together, Black Star, I believe. So poetic too good for me to be able to decipher in a week and talk about i mean i would heard it in the past but i don't know the album well enough to feel comfortable talking about it today otherwise that would have been my pick but uh yeah i listened to dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince i listened to snoop Dogg, dr dre pretty much anything and everything how'd you guys do
2: uh yeah similarly feels like a a big a big pool of albums to just pick from. Uh, I listened to a few old faves from Dr. Dre and Ice-T. Ice-T was pretty funny because my wife has been watching uh, Law & Order SVU lately. <laughs> <laughs> and hearing him come on there. Like <laughs> That's kind of weird. Yeah, his voice has not changed much. He still has that same delivery.
1: I know. It's just weird to to see him in a suit and he's all like detective-y. <laughs> yeah, detective
2: <laughs> One new thing that I had not heard before I listened to was from Gangstar, which we're going to kind of circle back in a second here, uh, their album Step Into The Arena, 91. Super, super good. Would have gone with that, but similarly to as you were saying, dude, like some of these records are so dense, especially in the early 90s, they take a long time to really saturate in your mind, so a week is not much to do that, so I went with something that also feels equally important from this era and that I'm a little more familiar with.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I had been more familiar. I wish I'd paid attention at that time, so that I had a better foundation to stand on when we jumped into this. Because I've listened to plenty of the of hip hop albums over the years, but the responsibility of picking one that's Interesting or good or different or groundbreaking is tough. Yeah. Don, how would
3: you do? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, you cheated. I, well, no, I didn't. Uh, well, whenever hip hop comes up on the the show, I know there's only you know one thing I can do, and that's better call Saul. <laughs>
0: Hey guys, Saul here again to talk about my top five 1990s hip-hop albums. Number five, Dr. Dre's The Chronic, which featured the single Ain't Nothing But A G Thing that introduced us to another legend then known as Snoop Doggy Dog. Number four, Wu-Tang Clan's Enter The 36 Chambers, obviously one of the most influential records in hip-hop history. Number three, a much-slept-on, underground legend, organized confusion's extinction agenda. Pharoah really is the star on this one. Number two, Nas's Illmatic, arguably the greatest hip-hop album of all time. This album boasts an all-star cast of producers including Pete Rock and DJ Premier and unbeatable rhymes. Number one is what I consider the magnum opus of hip-hop, Gang stars Step in the Arena. No skips on this one. This album features raw lyrics by the aptly named Guru and DJ Premier at the top of his production and turntable game. These are my entries, gentlemen. Thanks. Shit, Saul. What
1: are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) He just
3: did our show for us. Awesome.
2: Yeah, good luck, man. Hopefully we cover some of that ground here.
3: Very East Coast heavy.
2: Yes, true. But Don, true. you did cheat because you had a short list
3: from Saul to work from instead of flailing around like a fool like I did for <laughs> a week. <laughs> well, actually, everything I know about hip hop basically is thanks to to Saul. So yeah, I, I just I ended up picking things. Whoa, does Saul like this record? But I, I wasn't aware of his top five before I I made my pick. Okay, oh, okay. If you say so. <laughs> okay, just a coincidence,
1: I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> we should uh, get to business.
4: You. Choo choo choose me. I feel like a voice for those ones that passed on, you know what I mean? Because I was here. This was me. This was what it was about for me, you know what I'm saying? This was life.
2: All right, I'm gonna get things started off here with. uh Number two in Soul's top five here. We're talking about nasa's debut studio album, Illmatic. This came out back in April of 1994.
4: We are going to play the second track. It's a little bit of New York State of Mind.
1: Well, you really should have gotten Billy Joel to... The New York state of mind. I part. was actually <laughs> expecting
3: to hear that when you played the clip. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To really piss Andy off, you know. <laughs> All right.
2: So Illmatic, probably one of the bigger releases in the 90s. I think one of the more fondly looked back on records from this period. It sold 2 million copies in the U.S., selected into the library's of congress's national recording registry a couple of years ago as salu alluded to this is kind of what made this album unique was the large variety of like big name producers that all appeared on this record you have names like dj premier large professor pete rock q-tip even Nas chipping in on some of the production here
1: is was dj premier he was gang star, right no same guy same guy
2: yeah, a lot of overlap between these these East Coast groups at this time, as we'll we'll get to as we go along the show here. Yeah, that those big names all working on one record was not very common. Typically hip hop to this point you'd had a producer that you would work with, a rapper or a group of rappers, you guys would stick together for multiple albums, you have pretty consistent sound. This record kind of flipped that script and kind of established the sound that we have even modern day hip hop where you have lots of different producers working together on records and lots of different MCs as well from different groups collaborating together. The three words I use to describe this record are child of the city. This record feels much as me as as it is about Nas and him growing up in in uh Queens, New York in the you know, the eighties and nineties. This record feels a lot like the city itself. Like I feel like there's a lot of Sort of almost like Solomon almost feels like a documentary of, of New York City in the early nineties and kind of what it's like to grow up there and spend your, your time there and be a part of that that culture. So like a like a vlog. Like a vlog. Before there was a vlog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's pretty much a TikTok of the nineties here.
3: There you go. TikTok you don't stop. Oops.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. No color be bad on this <laughs> on this episode, please. <laughs> Alright, lots to say about this record here, but why don't we play another cut? This is a
4: little bit of It Ain't Hard to Tell.
3: So that's the the closing track on the album. Actually, it features a bunch of samples in it, uh, one of them notably uh, Michael Jackson's Human Nature, also some Cool and the Gang in there, and Mountain. So unlike some of the other uh, tracks on the album, that one is, I think, kind of more that sort of traditional kind of um, talking yourself up sort of thing. You know, here's how mm-hmm. great I am, uh, which I don't always appreciate, but I feel like I don't know, Nas does that in sort of a, a, a clever or, or interesting way.
1: Well, I think, I think he's made his case for himself oh, yeah. throughout the album, right? <laughs> yes. right. But mm-hmm. it's like, all right, you've heard <laughs> what I have to say, and <laughs> I rule. <you> know? <laughs> That's
3: a good point. Uh, the three words I, I chose to uh, describe the album, I've always wanted to use this expression. I'm not f- f- uh, completely sure exactly what it means, but game, oh, recognize game. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think that implies that I have game, but. right? That's what I was going to bring to question here. But uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But anyway, so like with my limited knowledge and experience with with hip hop. I think I can recognize that there's you know something you know special uh, about this this album. You know, as I'm mowing the lawn uh, with uh, you know the, this uh, on in my headphones. You know, there's just kind of something about his you know lyrical style and, and phrasing that's um, just uh, appealing and, and interesting. And I'm still sort of programming my brain for listening to hip hop because it is sort of a, a different experience. You know, I can't even articulate uh, exactly why, but you know, because you're not listening for melody. It's more about the the, the rhythm. Now, I guess it's about rhythm and, and flow. The rhythm
1: and the style that you're used to.
3: Yes. My name is Humpty. <laughs> 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 pronounced with an Humpty. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, this really, you know, uh, I, I think stands out from other hip hop that, that I am aware of uh, at the time. And again, that my experience is is limited. It, it's, it's accessible, I think, right? And it, it's appealing to the ear. But it also, it doesn't seem to be pandering. Uh, he's not rapping about, you know, big butts or, uh, <laughs> or, or uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, whatever it was in like the terrible naughty by nature videos at the time.
1: <laughs> you have to kind of put that in the perspective of, of the other stuff going on at the time, like, you know, Criss Cross Jump and right. Sir Mix-A-Lot and so that more pop, rap, hip-hop stuff
2: that was more of mm-hmm. the mainstream and yeah. – There was definitely, like, a movement towards, like, commercialization of hip-hop at this period, I think, where people were getting a little bit turned off by the messages, and I think Nas was kind of like a return to the roots, I guess, or kind of like a more pure expression of of some of the ideas of the culture
3: you know when i'm struggling to, to talk about things sometimes i, I turn to, to others so i, I did find a, a cool quote uh this is from matthew gestire from prefix magazine he said stylistically if every other hip-hop record were destroyed the entire genre could be reconstructed from this one album hmm. so that just interesting you know, yeah that's makes it sound big he sounds like a fan <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, there are lots of, I guess, traditional production notes here from, like, the 60s and 70s, like Funk Soul, R&B-type records. And there are uh, kind of a few interesting samples from some um, 80s hip-hop artists that are sampled on the, on the record. Um, so it does have a good bit of, of history, um, but I think lyrically it's very grounded in the present and, and in the place of, you know, in New York City. Why don't we play another cut from the record? This is a little bit of um, The World Is Yours
4: the world is yours the world is it's yours mine, it's mine, it's mine is to my man is Ill, god bless your life to my peoples, the wild queens god bless your life i and box crazy bitches and, and for, for my
1: money my this is the bitches. one that really is the highlight of the album and tells kind of just tells the whole story and also has a message about your uh the way you grow up may be different from someone else humans all want the same thing they want to be happy and have success so he's saying go get it uh, this one was produced by Pete Rock. It's jazzy. I like that a lot. I like that jazzy sound in hip-hop. Uh, the song's title and chorus were inspired by the phrase, the world is yours from the movie Scarface. And, I th- and you know, in the video, there's scenes that are like reenactments of, of that movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this, I believe that Nas is responsible for the... Cultural resurgence of that movie and its lines and, uh, (laughs) you know, suddenly in the record store, we're selling uh, Al Pacino Scarface posters. It's like, (laughs) 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 what the hell just happened? There's several samples, but one that's interesting is It's Yours by Taylor Rock and Jazzy J, like you were alluding to, Andy, the... Uh, older hip-hop albums. Uh, But yeah, it touches on ambition, empowerment, seizing opportunities, and rising above adversity. The three words I'm using to describe this album are uh, Street Life Chronicles. Storytelling, social commentary, poetic lyricism uh, throughout. It's very dense. I had not listened to this whole album before. It was a little hard to fully digest in a short time. Because there's so much at first, it was kind of like this is a little dry. Like I was, I, I have, I kind of like the back and forth in some hip hop of, of various MCs, mm-hmm. and I had to kind of change my perspective that this is Nas' show for the most part. I, I, Az, I think, is featured. I thought it was As. I
2: thought he's from Arizona. <laughs> yeah, it's a very Nas-centric <laughs> record, which is you know pretty uncommon in hip hop nowadays. We usually have lots of guest MCs. This was. I'm you know, pretty focused on, on him. It is tight, man. the record itself is only, like, what, 38, 40 minutes. A lot of long passages that Nas goes through. Though there are a fair amount of hooks, I would say. Even, like, that track we played there has a catchy hook with that sample. And
1: That was kind of the most laid-back song, and I think that's probably what right. drew me to it.
2: Yeah, one thing I just to mention too. Nas was twenty years old when this record came out. Didn't officially finish the eighth grade, but yeah, was able to produce wow. an album with this level of intricacy and 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 just storytelling. I think has really been unparalleled since. I think uh, instead of going to school, he spent his time reading the thesaurus because <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, of his seriously.
2: ability to use different words. Yeah, his vocab is is pretty on point. So I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate this, guys. So I haven't nominated anything in quite a while for the Hall of Fame, but I think this one is a no-brainer from my perspective. Really solidified Nas on the leave in the hip hop space, and he's you know he's still doing his thing today. He Just put out a record I think last week. Got yeah, a couple I gotta listen year. to that now. Still, still, still doing good stuff. But this is where it all started. So I'm going to say yes for the Ainhoffs. Um What do you guys think?
3: Well, I'm certainly not qualified to, you know, to to really, you know, declare where this belongs, um, you know, in the the history of hip hop music. But I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take the critic's word for it, uh, and I'll take Saul's word for it, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll say yes. I've always heard nothing but praise for this record.
1: This is definitely very special, and changed the trajectory of hip-hop and i think a lot of the flavors we have now are, are due to Naz so i'm gonna say yes as well
2: <laughs> well congratulations to mr nazir welcome to the, the Hall of fame uh, once again the album is il if by some chance you have not heard it give it a chance
0: i'm good enough i'm smart enough and doggone it people like me
1: If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music
3: fans find us.
0: They call me the hip Flows that glow Popping off the top of this esophagus Rocking this Okay, metropolis.
3: well that is not the artist <laughs> I, I'm about to, to talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, and I will say, so again, I was not aware of Saul's top five, but I do know Saul and I know this is one of his uh, favorite artists. So I, I figured this would be on his list. Uh, so the, the band I chose uh, and the album I chose is stress the extinction agenda by organized confusion uh, so here's a track called black Sunday until
4: then at 12 noon on the track Sunday
3: So that track uh, kind of acts as like a sort of like an origin story for the group, uh, Organized Confusion, Confusion spelled with a K, by the way. So you, you heard the, the rapping there of uh, Pharaoh Monch, uh, Pharaoh Monch, uh, born uh, Troy Donald Jamerson. And he's actually rapping over a, a sample from Eugene McDaniel's Jagger the Dagger uh, from, from 1971. Uh, Organized Confusion is a duo, by the way. So it's Pharaoh Monch. And then Prince Poe, uh, born uh, Lawrence Baskerville. And so Prince Poe in, in the second verse mentions that Pharaoh Monch was initially just like the beatboxer or whatever. But then, you know, figured out that he had, um, you know, w- was also good with, uh, with emceeing. Uh, and so, yeah, so the both MCs kind of uh share those those duties the three words I, I chose to describe the album are lyrics and phrasing uh and i really think that's really the the focus of, of this album right it's the um i think the the clever turns of phrase and the the rhyming schemes and, and stuff like that um they kind of stood out to me and uh, you know sounds uh, a lot different from from other hip-hop i've i've heard uh, from that era
1: yeah it's it's the energy that I think it's what draws me to this kind of hip-hop and these kind of collectives as opposed, you know, like Wu-Tang and the the personalities and the frenetic kind of, you know, like there were moments on here that were very ODB-ish and fun, regardless of what is happening lyrically, I love that different personalities and was just some weirdness. I really love in in my hip hop. I'm I'm learning that about myself as we continue down these paths and I learned a lot of that from Wu-Tang, honestly.
3: Yeah, one thing I I liked about that clip I I played of of Pharaoh is that in in that case there he's rapping quite slowly you know and i I think a a lot of times these mcs are just you know they just want to go fast you know they want to show you how quickly the the words can you know can flow out of their mouths and you know i i I feel like he's not trying to impress us you know with his speed but instead he you know kind of i don't know just has a a different take on the rhythm there but there are times on the on the album where he does uh uh, rap a, a little bit faster why don't we hear a little bit more here's the uh well, I guess there's technically two title tracks on this album. This is the second one the the extinct the extinction <laughs> agenda. <laughs> Get that extinction off
0: me.
1: Uh, there's Pharaoh picking up the speed a little bit. Uh, I just you know you you think about the city and and people playing chess in the park and all that stuff, and it's just a really cool way to uh, express the meaning of the song. Basically, we're superior lyrically. We're setting a new standard. And the extinction agenda like can be taken in a couple of ways. Um, the, ex- the Trying to uh, l- bring up your game so that hip-hop does not become extinct. It does not stand as a fad. Also, the extinction of... MCs, You know, the, the people that aren't trying, that aren't putting in the work, that aren't coming up with incredible flows and, and good lyrics and uh, unexpected rhyme schemes. But Prince Poe has some great moments as well in this song. And the, the, the section where uh, in the vicinity of the city's committee consider me, the trilogy of terror, whatever I do bring light, you're blinded by the glare of a trendsetter. The three words I'll use to describe this album, lyrical, acrobatics, and personalities. It's all about that for me. I indicated before. The album explores themes of societal pressure, self-expression. There's a diverse range of samples incorporating jazz and funk and psychedelic elements, all of which I really love in hip hop. Complex poetic lyricism, and um I just love the I I love the hip hop groups. That's my preference the cruise and this is another example of that that i was i'd heard of but it, and heard of the uh, individual mc's but never listened to so i did really appreciate this record it might be my favorite of the ones we're talking about today just for yeah. pure enjoyment all
3: right well let's uh let's hear some more here's uh, a track called Optimus bring it, it on
2: material, <laughs> Some of the when shit they come up with is just so, so incredibly crazy. creative. Like that's those lines that are like, I eat MCs like cereal, that's soggy, milky skills like Mr.
3: Miyagi. What? A little Optimus Prime in there too. All the 80s references.
1: And I don't know how many other MCs had styles like this, but I feel like this is the kind of stuff that drove that speed and, you know, people like Eminem that came later that really tried to take that to the, to the yeah. limit. You know, to like the micro machines guy. I remember those
2: commercials. They really <laughs> <You
1: know. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah no, I hear a lot of similarities we hear between what Eminem was doing like 10 years later and what these guys were doing in the early 90s. That whole like the rhyme schemes, I feel like they change up like almost every line is like a little bit different. Like where where the syllables are matching up and, and where they put the emphasis.
1: Or emphasis.
2: Yeah, the emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> I can pretend to understand it, but I can definitely appreciate it as, as it's unfolding. You keep hearing, like, you want to, it's kind of like what we were talking about last week, kind of dissect, like, these lyrics and just, it feels like you could really spend some time to get into all the intricacies laid out here on these tracks and to really get to the bottom of these messages. Um, it would take some time.
1: Well, you know that, you know, when in rap battles and, and, and things like that, when there's those moments where the whole crowd goes, Oh, you know, they're like <laughs> yeah. blown away. I had those moments throughout the listening to this record. I kept verbally making noises about, like, Oh my God, you know, when they would <laughs> just
2: do this yeah.
1: triple sow cow. Flips right, and, right. Uh, you know, it's gymnastics of words. Yeah, you
2: can see the judges like holding up different 10.0 yeah. signs in the background yeah. here. Yeah, there's a lot of really impressive moments on here. It feels a little bit like showing off a little bit. Less like storytelling and more like just we're going to impress you with our vocabulary and just dexterity of lyrics. That's wow, cool.
1: Started, you started rhyming a little bit there. Vocabulary and dexterity. I think it's rubbing off on <laughs> rubbing you, off. dude. Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's also a real, especially the beginning of this record, I felt like so much urgency and, I mean, anxiety
3: kind of. Uh Confusion, if you will. It's organized, though. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. Like the first few tracks, like I really like the way the beat comes in is, is so hard and heavy hitting. Yeah, my three words are uh, anxiety to art. I got the impression like they were feeling a lot of anxiety in their culture was maybe or where they're in their...
3: Stress, kill, destroy, stress. That's right.
2: And I, I was feeling it too and listening to it. Like I could really empathize with where they were coming from, I guess. And But man, they turned it into something really special and nice and uh, I shiny and some really just amazing moments on here. I think the only criticism would be the, the production is kind of middle of the road and just kind of standard like 90s boom bap production. Yeah, I can't... I kind of like that though, because this, it'd
1: be too many voices then like mm-hmm. these guys get to shine because the beats are less important than, than the yeah. flow, you know?
3: But yeah, I, I like kind of the, I think the, the simple production, cause I think it, it keeps the lyrics, you know, in the, in the forefront. And I just I, I want to mention the, the track Stray Bullet. I don't know if you guys paid a lot of uh, attention to that one. But that one is kind of providing like a almost like a first person perspective of a stray bullet, which I, I thought was, you know, pretty, um, you know, pretty interesting lyrically. It's hmm. yeah. a cool idea. Okay. So that was Organized Confusion with Stress, The Extinction Agenda. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions! It's that celebrated time on the show where we ask ourselves a, a question. Uh, so I, I actually uh, failed to mention on that bring it on track, there's a line, I even be getting more graphic than a Neo Geo 32-bit computer chip. <laughs> Do you guys remember Neo Geo? It was like this yeah. computer uh, system, an arcade system that had a bunch of, you know, kind of higher end video games uh, at the time. Yeah. So that, that that raises the question, what is your favorite 90s video game? I feel
2: like the 90s, was it like the gold golden era of video games as well right i mean kind of that second generation of things are coming online and Mm -hmm. figuring out how to actually make them good before the bling era yeah before the obviously the the bling era of the uh we're in now i'll mention i'll throw out a few names that i remember from childhood growing up that were pretty influential nba jam was like Mm. Mm -hmm. a big part of my life for a couple of years (laughs) along with mortal kombat I feel like those two were tied together very closely for me. Playing Doom on my Windows 95 PC That was pretty awesome. Still enjoy that game today. But I think my favorite, the one I probably played the most, was Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo on my Super Nintendo. Right. Man, I love that game. I used to play that on
1: Genesis, or at least some version of Super Street Fighter.
2: Yeah, there were like four different versions of that game. Who was your favorite dude to to be? Ryu. Ryu always, yeah. yeah. I like Ken. <laughs> oh my gosh, the, the knockoff version of Ryu? No, I
1: liked, um, Dawson was my favorite because he had the stretchy arms for punching and uh, he did this cool thing at the, when he won where he'd float in the air and yeah. do like a yoga pose. Yeah, yoga fire. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I like I, in the 90s was when uh, a buddy of mine got a PlayStation and, you know, there were things I played on there that were Incredible compared to anything I'd done on Nintendo or, or Atari before that. Some of my favorites were just like the EA Sports boxing game. I think it was oh, called yeah. Ring Kings or something at the time. They changed the name of it as time went on. Knockout Kings? Knockout Kings, yes. I loved that. But for the purposes of this episode, Parappa the Rapper. You
4: gotta do what?
1: I used to play this with my friend and and he had these plug-in controllers. So, they were, like, wireless, and there was a receiver. So, we could both have one controller to the same receiver. This was just bad design. So, when you're wrapping as parappa, you have to hit the buttons to match the beat and wrap along the score high. But you could, like, the faster you were, and you could freestyle by, like, hitting a button over and over again. So, we'd use two controllers and get these incredible scores because (laughs) we were both hitting the buttons at the same time, and it was registering It it as us, It's like, nailing it. So... (laughs) <laughs> I played a lot of Parappa the Rapper.
2: So, were you actually rapping as part of the game or just hitting the buttons?
1: No. So, Parappa would rap and you would have to hit triangle, square to match the words. So, his flow would be good. And if the gotcha. flow sucked, like if it was stuttery, you go and the person like through the story, you're trying to impress everyone with your rap style. And- okay.
3: <laughs> so,
2: it's like Guitar Hero but before yeah. Yeah. they had instruments and stuff. Yeah.
3: Cool. Uh, A game I thought of, but I I think it was actually released in 89, but I'm, I did, you know, I was playing it in the early 90s. A game called Baseball Stars. So it was the first game where I think you could, you could develop players, you know, so like as you played, you would earn money and then you could power them up. Um, You could customize the name of teams and, and stuff like that. And I used to play it constantly. So you would get to the point, you know, after a, a couple of months of playing, where you just have like this awesome team. But then you had to do like a little trick when you would turn off the, the Nintendo. I, I can't remember. I don't know if you had to hold the power button or something. But there was a trick you had to do to make sure you didn't lose the memory. And every now and then, like if if somehow the Nintendo accidentally shut off while you were playing it you would lose all your all your data <laughs> oh, you would lose the team oh and it God. was it was devastating there's a tiny little chip in the cartridge right yep. would, uh, yeah yeah before memory cards okay well what was your favorite 90s video game let us know hit us up on the socials instagram facebook and threads uh, also uh, join the conversation on discord albumnerds.com/discord peace yo and
4: welcome to jazzmatazz <laughs> an experimental fusion of hip-hop and live jazz. I'm your host, the Guru.
1: All right, so we're talking about Guru and his uh, project, Jazzmatazz. This is volume one, came out in 1993. Why don't we get started with uh, the track, Take a Look a at Yourself. Use
4: your own eyes to see. Take a look. I can't be you, you can't be me. For your problems, yo, you can't blame no one else. Take a look at yourself, take a look at yourself. Take one big.
1: So, take a look at yourself. Uh, I love the, the Roy uh, Ayers marimbas there. What do you guys think of that sound in a hip-hop song?
3: I like it. Uh,
2: I like it. It's, uh, it sounds uh, it sounds kind of like a West Coast thing, almost, to me. I like uh, you don't hear those sounds in the East Coast rap too much. It's cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'd be, the song is about self-awareness, personal growth. Uh, apparently, I like those kind of songs. <laughs> um... <laughs> But so let's get a little bit into this. So this album came out in May of 1993, uh, and Guru was born Keith Edward Elam, born in July 1961. Unfortunately, passed away in 2010, uh, cancer. But uh, a member of Gangstar with DJ Premier, before pursuing music, he attended Morehouse College in Atlanta, and he studied business administration, and uh, has a very distinctive smooth, introspective rapping style, and that is, I think, really leans itself to this jazz sound. The three words I used to describe this album, next level fusion, jazz samples had become a hip-hop standard, Gangstar, Digable Planets, De La Soul. This was an effort to truly fuse the genres, uh, and this jazz music was composed specifically for the album, which is uh, just a great fun idea which he went with on several other volumes. But uh, this is this is, I think, the the best. This album features collaborations between Guru and several jazz artists, including Donald Byrd, Lonnie Liston Smith, Roy Ayers, Ronnie Jordan. Uh, and it's just a musical fusion, where I think the beats were built, and then brought in the jazz musician, and then they would play a live loop, essentially, to stay true to the form, the hip-hop form at the time. And then they would kind of loosen up he'd and, and within the songs he'd be like, "Go for it, Branford," or whatever. and then there'd be a little freestyle type stuff. But I think they were playing live loops, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's just the style of of, uh, hip-hop at the time. Some of the key tracks on the album got Loungin' featuring Donald Byrd. That's the opening track, No Time to Play, featuring saxophonist Ronnie Jordan. Trust Me featuring the soul singer India Davenport. And I think this had an impact on the music industry. Trying something new, innovating, and I think innovation in hip hop was at its height during this time period where artists were really looking for new ways to express and grow hip hop. So why don't we jump to another track? This so is down on the back street.
4: And then I'll stick and I'll rip you up from all sides. Or possibly I'll let you slide son, Cause you'll set your own death in just so
2: and on the keys there. I enjoyed that track. I enjoyed this record in general. I think it's, you know, it's two things I'm a big fan of jazz and hip hop. Three words I used to describe it are PB and jelly ice cream. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Explain yourself. It's like two things that seem like they'd be good on their own. Maybe you combine them together. They'd be even better. I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on this record. I, at times I like it. I really enjoyed lounging the The first proper track, and a handful of others around here, I think, uh, create do create a really nice vibe. And I think it. I think Guru, he's like such a good M C C. He's such a good M C <laughs> that he can really M C C. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression he's like freestyling over some portions of these songs or or almost there's like a a sing songy like spoken word singing thing he does in parts of these tracks that feels kind of improvised and loose like you would maybe do in like a, a jazz group. But there's plenty of other tracks that I think don't work as well. Um, Usually that's when he gets into like harder hitting stories about like life on the streets. Kind of like down on the back streets that have been played. And there's a couple other tracks too that fall into that same vibe. That mixing of like this, you know, like piano jazz and, you know, stories about like confrontations on the streets. Like doesn't doesn't really work too well together for me.
1: Well, I I think that's part of what was being attempted here. Like Transit Ride, I think is one of those. And even sights in the City. I think, you know, I was picturing it more, you know, when we've talked about Frank Sinatra and the, the nighttime vibes and the rain-slicked streets of the city, that jazz club, smoke-filled. That's what I was picturing was the stories from that perspective, that there's harsh realities or truths being spoken, but in a way, I think that's a little bit easier to maybe digest or or take in because it's got a laid-back
2: vibe to it. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition of two very different things. Sometimes I think it works well, sometimes I'm, I'm more mixed on it. All
1: right, so uh, why don't we listen to another track, the aforementioned Lounging.
4: You could take a glance or dance. Elevated lyrics to a crowd. Now tell me who's the man to show you how. Many legacies of brothers who get busy and i do it fluid till the suckers get dizzy.
3: Uh, yeah, so that you know really sets the the tone for the for the rest of the album. As you mentioned before, um that features trumpet by uh, Donald Byrd. I actually there there's some lyrics later in the the track that i think kind of like set up what the what the album is is about realistic kind of mystic when i kicked this you should witness the slickness of the horn player and the dope rhymesayer, quite emotional and inspirational, philosophical and yes, very logical, teaching you the method for lounging. Uh, so the, the three words I, I chose to d- describe the album are the spiritual teacher, right? And so that's essentially what a guru is. And I feel like this exercise, you know, not just this one, but all of the, the jazzmatazz records that he did. I, I feel like he's kind of teaching, you know, maybe the, the hip hop listeners, uh, about a, a genre of music that, you know, maybe they, you know, haven't explored before. So, you know, I think this album, you know, when you look at it that way is, is, is very uh, effective, right? It is kind of more of a lesson than a record. And I, I think there's a, a lot of great moments on the album, particularly that. I mean, I love the sound of, uh, of lounging. And, um, and I do think those, those smoother jazz tracks really work. Well, I think both genres kind of get neutered um, when you put them together. So I, I feel like the jazz is maybe toning guru down a bit. You know, I don't, you can't be quite as harsh and in your face with, with the lyrics. And I, I think jazz, I mean, jazz is also gaudy, right? It's about, you know, playing a lot of notes and, you know, showing off your musicianship and stuff like that and, and freestyling. And in order for it to complement you know, hip hop lyrics, you know, you have to dial it back and just make it a loop or something. So I think you're, you're losing some of the best aspects. Aspects of the, the two genres, um, although I do think in, in some areas it, it really works. And you're also you're losing the low end. So a lot of hip hop has you know really deep low end bass. I mean, it's it's generated electronically. So even your big stand up bass can't create those those frequencies. You know, I feel like on some of these songs you're kind of missing that that real low end bass that is that is typical of of hip hop.
1: Well, you know, the album is. I mean, if you read the full title, Jazz Metaz Volume 1, An Experimental Fusion of Hip-Hop and Jazz. And I think that's the experiment, right? Yep. And, and is it fully a success or not? Uh, did it help inspire other hip-hop artists to grow and try new things? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, to some extent... I think it's a good it's a good way for someone who likes hip hop but doesn't like jazz yep. to maybe get exposed. And for someone who likes jazz but doesn't like hip hop to maybe get exposed, you know, and so that teaching that yes. you were talking about, Don. So I I feel like in the C D digital age he was also trying to kind of make this the album cover looks like an old jazz album the, the intro is like here's exactly what I'm trying to do here the middle is alright here's some stuff I want to say about jazz and
2: here's some more experiments so it really does take the time to like kind of explain what his idea for this project is because it was a new idea and it really the first time that a live band had been recorded with an MC like this right I mean
1: to my knowledge yes it
2: feels it feels kind of like an experiment like you're kind of witnessing history as it unfolds
1: and I think that's why I'm a little more forgiving on the details of About low-end or harsh enough or uh, I think it was really gutsy Mm -hmm. as someone established like Guru was to say you know what I've got I've got the opportunity to do something different I'm gonna do it Uh, I'm a big fan I think it's it's definitely worth checking out and enjoying the lounge and that song alone will make you have a good day so if you haven't heard it before go check out jazmatazz volume one an experimental fusion of hip-hop and jazz from Guru
3: Well, we were given this vast task, right, of, of going through 90s hip-hop. And I think we all ended up kind of in similar places, right? And in a, a similar part of the decade uh, <laughs> yeah. as well. So, what, what did we learn? Well, I mean, I guess the golden era of hip-hop was in New York City,
2: 1993, 1994, apparently. <laughs> I mean, we all ended up there. I think we had a lot of of like crossover on these different projects. Uh, you know, Q Tip popped up a few times. Guru, you know, mixed throughout here. DJ Premier involved with with all these artists in different ways. That's also something awesome about
1: hip hop is MCs and DJs' willingness to help push new artists, help grow the family, grow hip-hop, grow the genre and the movement uh, without it all being about them all the time. The cross-pollination is part of what makes it great.
3: I, I think we certainly need to to get to more music from this era, right? So, we, we did ignore the the West Coast. You know, we, we ignored, you know, names like Dre and, you know. Tupac, I listened to that stuff, but I just was
1: more drawn to the – east coast sound i think so i have some work to do in that regard also as i mentioned i i found myself drawn to hip-hop collectives and duos more than solo artists sounds like a couple of good potential show topics
3: right there and that's one to grow on
0: i'm
3: your density i mean your destiny
2: Alright, boys and girls, it is that time once again. Everyone hold hands, gather around the magical wheel of musical destiny. Let's see what fate has in store for us next week.
4: Your musical destiny will depend on one simple accomplishment by a band or artist. Did they make it onto the cover of The Rolling Stone? Love it or hate it Rolling Stone magazine has been a cultural touchstone since 1967. Happy reading!
3: Okay! David Cassidy.
1: Yeah. It's not just your your Pearl Jams and Metallicas that made it on the cover. There's a lot of pop artists and musical mm. cultural figures. So, I think we, it's a very broad palette. But I think it's an interesting topic because that used to really mean something. Being on the cover of Rolling Stone was like, you made it.
2: Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, a
3: lot of uh, covers to choose from there. Okay. Who's your favorite artist who donned the cover of the Rolling Stone? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on discord at albumnerds.com slash discord. You can email us at podcast at album and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at album nerds. Please subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com nerds.com slash support.
1: A special thanks to Saul for sharing his hip-hop insights with us. And thank you for listening once again to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some artists from the cover of the Rolling
2: Stone magazine, that is. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.
3: Uh, See you next week. Don't be down with OPP. Oh, God. Do you know what OPP stands for?
1: Other people's problems.
3: No, nope. podcasts. Other people's podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: See, you know, this may have been a mistake because Mr. Singing Guy is going to start rapping all the time now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Life's a bitch and then you die. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> My rhymes are not autonomous.